Uh, the book of Daniel, book of Daniel, and uh, today we're going to look at the Invisible War. You guys all have a worksheet? Everybody need one? Okay, we're all good. And uh, very interesting uh, passage of scripture tonight in relation to the Invisible War, looking at some of the, the aspects of angels and uh, place that they have uh, in, in our lives here. But I'll read from verse number 10 to verse number 21. It says, Behold, and hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee I am now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand, and to chasten thyself before God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the king of Persia, kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days, but lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground, and I became dumb. And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spake, and said unto him that stood before me, O Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of this my Lord talk with this my Lord? For as for me, straightway there remained no strength in me, neither is there a breath left in me. Then there came again and touched me one like the appearance of man, and he strengthened me. And said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be unto thee, be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened. And said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I am come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none that holdeth with me in these things, but Michael your Prince. All right, let's pray. Father, it's asked that you would just guide me in this message tonight. I pray it would come forth clearly. And Lord, we would just stay where we need to stay and, and discover the truths that we need to, Lord, and help me to get past those things we don't need to spend time on tonight. But I do pray, Lord, that each one of us will learn and grow from this lesson tonight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so the first thing I want to look at simply here is the appearance of the angel. In uh, verse 9 to 11, of course, remember last week we looked at how that Daniel, uh, when he saw the Son of Man or the Son of God, he fell on his face to the ground. That was his response to that. And then that, you see that in verse number 9, it says, Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then I was in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. And behold, an hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And so a lot of this passage, it's very interesting how it's dealing with just simply where, how Daniel was responding to what was going on in this vision. Uh, it wasn't just, he was just saying, oh yeah, tell me what's going on. I mean, it, a lot of it had to do with him, you know, how it affected him physically, how it brought him to the ground, how the Lord brought him back up again so that he could focus on what was being uh, told to him. And it's just interesting that the Lord would spend so much time talking about that. I think the Lord definitely wants us to understand that this is an awesome experience here. <laughs> this is no light 
uh, situation taking place. It was so heavy that Daniel couldn't find the words. I mean, he went dumb. Uh, he fell on his face in a deep sleep. Uh, even then, we'll, we'll see that when he was brought up to his knees and on his palms of his hands, that word there means to stagger. So he was, it was almost like he didn't have the strength even to get up on his knees. And on his hands, he was just so weak just from being in the presence of God and in the presence of this awesome prophecy that, that he was hearing here. So the Lord wants us to see that for whatever reason. Um, twice Daniel will find himself on his face to the ground in this chapter. Uh, once after the appearance of the Son of God and the second time when he heard the words of the angel. In verse 14, it says, Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground, and I became dumb. And so there again, it's the second time he hit the ground, you know. And so the Lord wants us to understand this. Uh, let Ray a hand touch Daniel three times. And... Uh, now, people will say different things. Uh, as I began to look at this passage, it really looks to me that the hand that touched him wasn't necessarily the angel's hand, but it could have been the Son of God that was still there during this time because it's interesting the way that he worded uh, about the hand that touched him. Look at verse number 10. And behold, an hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. In verse 16 it says, And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips, and then I opened my mouth and spake. And so that one that was, that was actually appeared as a man is the one that touched him. Amen. And so that's an interesting thing here. And then verse 18 says, Then there came again and touched me one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me. And so the word touch means to reach or to strike. I don't know if he, it was a hard touch or a soft touch. I don't know what, but whatever that touch was, there was a lot involved with it. Uh, and that touch made a big difference to Daniel where it actually, where he was dumb and he was able to speak, uh, where he was on his face and he was actually revived and he was actually was able to stand back up again. And so that's interesting. This hand that strengthened Daniel could be the hand of the son of God could be the hand of the Son of God. And that makes sense. We look at Philippians 4.13. It says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Amen. Not only that, you look at verses like 1 Chronicles 29.12. It says, Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thy hand is power and might. And in thy hand is to make great and to give strength unto all. And so from the hand of God. In Isaiah 41 verse 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Amen? So you see, with God, when he's always talking about strengthening and empowering, he always brings his hand in on that, because that's a symbol of power. Uh, that's your power as well, your hand. Without a hand, you can't do very much. Amen? But the hand is the power of God. And so it's interesting how here Daniel was weakened and the Lord wanted us to see that he was very weak to the place where he couldn't even move and yet the hand of God touched him and he was strengthened. And that just tells us that I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Amen? And so that's pretty decent. Uh, like I said, when he, when he was brought up to set on his knees and on his hands, the word there, set, actually means to shake or to stagger or to wander. And so he was not just, you know, plopped up sturdily on his hands. The Bible says that he was waving 
like wheat in the field, amen? He was staggering. And uh, so it just tells you that uh, this was no little situation that was going on here. Letter B, the angel reassures Daniel, verse number 11, and he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And we had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Uh, so angels were, of course, used as messengers in the scriptures. They were also, they were also used as ministers. Uh, we see that in the Bible. In Hebrews 1.7 it says, And of angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. So they are ministers. In Matthew 4.11 it says, Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Talking about Jesus Christ. And so angels have that effect of ministering. And here these angels, of course, are this angel, and we don't know who it is. I mean, we could take for granted maybe that it was Gabriel, it was the same as the last chapter, but for some reason the Lord didn't tell us uh, the name of this angel. Amen? Uh, and so, and so uh, they, they have this ministry of ministering, so they're so powerful. I mean, you could not take on, this world couldn't take on one angel, and yet they're so gentle. Uh, where they minister in such a way where they care about one individual and want that person uh, to be encouraged or assured in the middle of this situation here. And so Daniel, um, we'll move on. Number one, the, the angel tells him he is greatly beloved two times. So after each time that he hit the ground, the first response back was, you're greatly beloved. So he's trying to reassure him. Now, you know that when you see God or you're touched by God or you're in the presence of God, uh, like we saw last week, that his comeliness turned into destruction or turned into, uh, I forgot the word, the corruption. And, uh, and so, I mean, immediately what you would do is you would think very low of yourself in that situation. I'm sure Daniel was, was really down <laughs> when he saw that. And so the angel, what he did is he picked him up. And he explained to him what he meant to God, which is very important. In verse 11, he says, O Daniel, man greatly beloved. In verse 19, once again, and said, O man greatly beloved, fear not, peace be unto thee, be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. He was ready to hear the words. Uh, the word greatly beloved, or the phrase means to take pleasure in, to desire, to be desirable, or to desire passionately. So the Lord, it wasn't just for God to love the world kind of love here. When he's talking about greatly beloved, God is saying with Daniel specifically, I take great pleasure in Daniel. I, I passionately desire Daniel close to me. And that's because of Daniel's choices, because of the way he decided to believe God and trust him his whole life. And here he is over 80 years old, and yet he's still following God from his youth. And if there's someone that had a, an opportunity to become bitter and angry at the circumstances of life, Daniel could have been one of those people. Made a eunuch, taken to captivity, never really got to have a family, have children, have a wife, have a home. Uh, his life was basically dictated for him. And yet he did not become bitter in any way whatsoever. And the Lord looked at that and says, you know what? I take great pleasure in you, that you found your contentment in me rather in this, than in the circumstances that you're living in. And so twice in this chapter, he's told he's greatly beloved. And it's both times it was after he fell on his 
fell with his face to the ground. All right. So that must be what he needed to hear to get up off his face. Number two, the angel gives understanding. Um, no, that's not the one you have. You have another, that's not the point, is it? You have the angel required Daniel to stand up right. And uh, to stand up means to rise up, to take one stand. In other words, Daniel, what I need to tell you, you can't do this on your face to the ground. You can't do this wobbling on your knees on the ground. What I need to tell you, you need to stand up. You need to stand. And Psalm 1.5, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So it's interesting when you look at the concept of standing in Scripture, I always, I always miss that in Psalm 1, where it talked about, you know, they shall be like a tree planted by the rivers, rivers of water. But then it goes on to say, but the sinners, they shall not, or the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. No, does that mean they won't be there? No, they're going to be there. <laughs> but they're not going to be standing in the judgment. What does that mean? Well, that means that because of their wickedness, because of their ungodliness, they won't have the strength to stand. They won't be able to face God. They will be flat on their face. There will be no strength in them. They won't be able to stand before the God of heaven. But the Bible tells us as believers that we will stand faultless before his glory. And so here the angel says, Daniel, you need to stand. <laughs> you got to get used to this, standing in the presence of God, standing in the presence of the Lord, standing while you're being taught and, and explaining things. Because the ungodly, they cannot stand. But the righteous can stand. 1 Corinthians 15, 1, the Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. Amen. So are you standing in the gospel? Uh, standing means firmly rooted, firmly stabilized in that message that has saved you. And so that standing is very important in the scripture. And also Ephesians 6.13, it says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you might be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Yeah. Amen. So this battle is going to take standing people, not sitting people, not reclining people, not sleeping people, not people on their face. And that seemed to be what the angel is pointing out here. Daniel, you can't do this lying down. <laughs> you can't do this on your knees. You have to do this standing up. I want you to stand. And until he stood, he couldn't tell him anything. And I think the same thing it is with us. Until we stand, until we really get stabilized in the gospel, until we put on the whole armor of God, until we're ready to go forward for him and with stability, God really can't minister to us and use us the way that he would like. Amen. And so anyways, number four, uh, Daniel trembled in reverence. So even though he stand, uh, he still trembled. It says that he trembled. Uh, that means feared. That's not a bad thing. Uh, when someone is trembling in reverence, that just shows you this. They're not sitting there full of pride. They're not overconfident in who they are. Uh, they're, he is simply saying, you know what? Uh, this is beyond me. Uh, I, I, I don't even deserve to be here. Uh, just trembling in the presence of God, trembling in the presence of, of what God is trying to tell him. He didn't think for one second he deserved it. Uh, in fact, he thought very little of himself, you know. So trembling is not necessarily a bad thing. Trembling is usually an acknowledgement of our understanding of who we really are instead of that fake front that some of us put up. Amen. And so Daniel trembled, not a bad thing, but Psalm 104, 32 says, He looked on the earth and it trembled. He touched the hills and they smoked. 
And so we'll have to get our wits about us and be able to stand to our feet. Uh, but our reverence for God should linger with us after we stand. And so uh, no matter how confident you get, never lose that trembling for God. Never lose your fear of him. And I, I know we ought to be confident. We ought to, the Bible wants us to be confident. There is strong confidence in the fear of the Lord. But yet we still need to re- remember that trembling, that fear, is, is really a sign of our humility before our God. Amen? In, in Proverbs 1.7, it says, For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So here Daniel's about to get knowledge. He's about to be taught something. And so I think he's pretty well prime picking here. <laughs> you know, the fear of the Lord, this is where it starts. Daniel feared the Lord. Okay, now you're ready to be taught. Amen. You're not full of yourself. You're not overconfident. All right, number two, the purpose of the angel. The angel was sent personally. Um, for unto thee am I now sent. It says there also, I am come for thy words, are two phrases that I pulled out of this chapter. God deals with us personally he wants to show us what we need to understand when we need to understand it. And so he was there for Daniel. You think about this. Everything that's going on in this chapter is because of what one man did and was asking of God. And the, and the angel just said, I'm here for you. Get up. I'm here for you. I'm here because of what you just asked. I'm here because of what you're desiring to know. And boy, I'll tell you, that means you can't sleep on this now. <laughs> I came all this way. You're the reason I'm here. Amen. For unto thee am I now sent. Letter B, the angel was sent because Daniel's words were heard. It's interesting, this wording here in verse number 12. Then said he unto me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, Thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. So Daniel started this whole process of meeting Christ and receiving understanding. He initiated all of this. Now Daniel's words were heard for a couple of reasons here. And sometimes we wonder if our prayers are being heard or if God will answer our prayer. Here we have two keys to receiving an answer from the Lord when we pray. And the first one is this, Daniel set his heart to understand. And that's what the angel said, from the first day that thou didst set your heart to understand. So it has to do with your heart. It has to do with a desire to know the truth. Set means to place. His heart is the seat of the will or your secret purposes, your intentions or designs. Those are the things that usually we hide to ourselves that are very selfish. With Daniel, those things were not very selfish. They were all about God. He says, the things that are hidden in me that everybody can't see, it's not me wanting to get this, that, or the other, or go travel here, or uh, get money, or whatever. The secret things of my heart is I want to understand God. That's what God saw, (laughs) you know. Usually that's the thing that we put out in the front, But really, our secret purposes are not that at all, you know. But Daniel, that was a part of his secret purposes of the heart. That was his inner being, wanting to know what what God has to say about things. And so, set his heart to understand. That means to discern, to perceive, to observe, to pay attention to, to be intelligent, to be discreet. All these things, he wanted to know how to operate, how to understand, how to know. To receive an answer from the Lord... We must make getting discernment concerning the truth, the purpose of our asking. 
Many times we talk to God to get things for ourselves, for our own pleasure. We see that in James 4 too. Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot, cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Amen? So why did this angel set out to answer Daniel? Because he had set his heart to understand. You got to ask yourself that. Do I truly set my heart to understand? Do I get up in the morning and say, Lord, you know, I really want to know you. I want to know what your word says, what it means. That's the desire of the inner part of my heart. Or is that just what everybody else, we tell everybody else, you know? And our inner heart is really, maybe I want a better job, I want money, and oh God, give me this, God, give me that. And that's what we're praying for, we never get it. And we say, oh God doesn't answer prayer. (laughs) Well, why don't we do it the way God says to do it? Let's put what's important to God first and seek the understanding of the truth. And maybe the Lord will respond, amen? Number two, Daniel chastened himself. This is to be afflicted, to be oppressed, to be humbled. This is really just opposite of 2022, probably 2023. (laughs) Amen. People aren't living to chasten or to afflict themselves or be oppressed or be humbled. It's more about, hey, I'm first here. Do what what I want. Uh, I want to be called they, them, ghost, whatever. You call me that. That's totally opposite of what this is. Amen. Daniel chastened himself. He afflicted himself. He says, I'm willing to do without the things that my desires, my natural desires even want. Food and water and all these different things. And just so I can have what usually is such a a hard thing for our flesh to desire. And that is the spiritual things. Amen. Our flesh wants temporal. It wants things right now. You know. So when you can actually afflict your flesh for the sake of getting something that is spiritual, then you know you're on the right track. Amen? Then you know you're on the right track. So this is what fasting's all about. It's about afflicting ourselves. It means to, so burdened about something, we'll deprive our flesh of what it craves for to have our spiritual burden relieved. In essence, we're seeking the Lord's presence, acknowledging His holiness and our dependency upon Him to understand. The Lord chastens us and we chasten ourselves. So the Lord chastens us. We know that. The Bible says, despise not the chastening of the Lord. He says, okay, I do this. And, and, and if you're going to despise it when he does it to you, chances are you're not going to want to do it to yourself. But if you chasten yourself, chances are he won't have to. <laughs> Amen. So we need to do that. If we want the Lord to answer our words, we must li- learn to live for him and at times prove that by depriving ourselves of what we crave. You know, sometimes, you, you know, I, you got to do this to your kids many times, you know. You got to teach them to work. Do your kids want to work initially? No. Do they want to exert any energy for something? They don't get something that their body craves for out of it. They may work a little bit if they know they can get some money, they can buy what they want, <laughs> you know. But to actually get your kids to do something where it's going to have no temporary or immediate impact on them that's a pretty hard thing for to get them to understand you know but kids need to learn that they need to learn to do this that's why we can't always give them money every time they take the garbage out they just need to do it 
you know? No benefit other than not having a stinky house. You know what I mean? Because that will happen. And sometimes the kids don't care, you know? <laughs> Anyways, Isaiah 58, verse 3. It says, Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast, ye shall find pleasure and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate, and to smite with a fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day, to make your voice to be heard on high. That means you're pretending. You're pretending to fast. You're pretending to be religious. You're pretending to do things, get hold of God, and it's not real. He says, you are not fasting, is what he's telling them. It's just a religious thing you're doing. You're not really, your, your goal isn't right. There's something wrong with the motive of your heart. Amen? It says, is such a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is that all I got to do is put on some sackcloth and just bend my head down and make it look like I'm sad? <laughs> you know, afflicting myself. And then he goes on to say, is not this the fast that I've chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke. Amen. You know what God wants us to be burdened about is for people to have freedom, spiritual freedom in their life. Yeah. To help others. To give ourselves for the sake of others. But he says, this whole thing about the sackcloth and ashes and you just bowing your head down like a bulrush, he says, that doesn't do it for me. <laughs> Why are you doing this? Is this called a fast? What is a fast? You've got to be careful what you call a fast. <laughs> you know, if you're praying for somebody, you're burdened for them, you're burdened for your family, you're burdened for the situation, and you're... you're emptying your heart before God and you're keeping it to yourself. You know it's religious when you're telling everybody about it. <laughs> that's, what the, that's what the Pharisees did. They wanted to look like they're fasting. When everybody see, look how spiritual we are. Look at I'm fasting. Look, I'm a faster. Amen? <laughs> that's not scripture. That's not what God wants. Daniel had it right. He wasn't, there wasn't a bunch of people that knew about what he was doing. He had a burden in his heart. It was private. It was in his heart. And he set his heart to understand. And he chastened himself to get what he was seeking for. Amen. And that's why the Lord answered. And I think we need to start learning from that. Because I think God would do some great things in our life if we would just simply go to him that way. Chasten ourselves and seek from our heart the answer for our problem, the answer for somebody else's problem. Amen. And not be religious about it. So the angel came to give understanding we know that. We already looked at that. He came to make them understand. Letter D, angelic principles, principalities are influenced and angelic battles stirred when God's people sincerely seek the Lord. And that's what happened here. Uh, Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. So the words of Daniel were heard immediately, but the resistance of Satan's princes kept the answer back for 21 days. Man, just as one man, 
one man setting his heart to understand, one man chasing himself, and who got involved? This angel with the answer, and not only him, <coughs> but the mighty Michael, the archangel, got his whole army in there. <laughs> so Daniel didn't know that was going on. He's just on earth here. He's what's going on? 21 days, Lord, I need to understand. He doesn't realize there's a huge commotion going on in the spiritual realm because of his prayer, you know? So when you pray and you're sincere about it, you can be sure you're kicking up trouble somewhere, <laughs> amen? And that's what we need to do these days. Uh, number two, the war in the heavens, or three, whatever it is. Daniel 10, verse 13 but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. And I remained there with the kings of Persia. So here we are three years into the rule of the Persian Empire. I remember uh, Cyrus uh, made the decree. And so something's going on here with Persia. There's a battle going on in the heavenlies over the direction that Persia is going and, and how the Lord is using Persia for his honor and glory. Now, Persia, they're not great people. They're not the followers of God. But yet, Satan is trying to take advantage. And God's using whoever he wants to use on this earth. Amen? But the devil's trying to manipulate as well. So there are satanic principles or principalities at war with God's people. That is constant. That is probably the biggest warfare that is occurring today is against God's people. The biggest battles that are happening in the heavenlies have to do with you and me. You understand that? That's where the battles are, all right? Uh, like in Daniel 7, verse 21. And I beheld and the same horn made war, or the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. And so this word prince, Michael the prince, one of the chief princes, or the prince of Persia, it means a chieftain, a chief, a ruler, an official, a captain, uh, number one, Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. We see that in Ephesians 2, too, where in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. We also see in Ephesians 6, 12, where we wrestled not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That passage there is full of truth. I believe it's talking about the demonic princes that are fighting up there. I believe it's also referring to those that are worshiping them down here. There are rulers of the darkness of this world that are existing today. And when we're wrestling, that's who we're wrestling. When we're praying, that's what we're praying against. Amen. And I believe our world is full of these kind of people that are underneath the direct influence of these principalities. And <clears throat> I think that's how Satan takes over nations. I think that's how he controls and gets dominion and so forth. Number two, Satan directly influences the world and its nations. Um, same pa passage there, it says, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. So the same course of the world is the same thing that the prince of the power of the air is, is working on this world. And um, the rulers of the darkness of this world, I guess that's where I was supposed to say it. But the prince of the king of Persia is a demonic prince that controls the world's kingdom through men and women that walk in darkness. So when somebody walks in darkness, what you're doing is you're letting the devil use you. Amen? I don't care who you are, even Peter, 
A disciple of Jesus was used by the devil. Anybody can be used. Whenever you operate in darkness, you will be used. <laughs> you know, in this church, folks, be careful. Stay in the light. Stay in the truth. Because the moment you start walking in the darkness, the devil will begin to use you to hurt the very thing that you're involved with right here. You understand, either you're for or you're against. There's never sitting on the fence in God's work. You know that. You were either saying, I am for what God's doing here, or I'm working against it. And it all has to do with what's going on in, the, in your heart, whether your heart's in darkness or whether your heart's in light. And Satan uses that. Number three, Satan hinders the work and the people of God. That's why you see here in Daniel 10, 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. So withstood, that means it took a stand, took a stand against this angel in bringing the answer. So when we want to go forward, when we want God to do something, you can be sure there's a demonic influence taking a stand against us. <laughs> I felt that this year. I felt that there was some demonic influences that were trying to hold us back. But at the same time, I also sensed that the Lord was giving us great liberty in some ways. <laughs> Amen. But I noticed it was a spiritual battle. It's almost like looking from the outside in. Amen. All we got to do is keep praying. We got to keep our hearts right. Because there is a demonic battle that's going on. Folks, if we would see it today, if he would open up our eyes. Remember like Elisha with his servant. Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And they saw the angels all encamped around the city. Uh, I mean, if the Lord would open up our eyes and we would see what's going on in the heavenlies just over this little assembly right here at Energy Baptist Church. We would all know what side we want to be on. <laughs> Amen. We really would. But the devil doesn't want you to see that. He doesn't want you to believe it. He doesn't want you to think that your, your decisions are going to either put you on one or the other side. He wants you to believe that somehow you can continue on in darkness and it's not going to cause any damage at all, but it will. It always does. People are always hurt. Amen? Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.18, it says, Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us, stood against us. Number four, Satan deceives the world, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believed not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. <clears throat> so Satan's all about keeping the right information from the heart. Uh, that's why I always say, like, if you're getting pulled out of church, Satan's behind it. Unless we're, hey, if we're teaching false doctrine, our doctrine is work salvation or whatever, okay, the Lord is pulling you out. <laughs> Amen. But if our doctrine is right, and you're getting pulled out, that's not God doing that. Amen. That's the devil. He's trying to stop the flow of information into your heart. He's trying to stop the truth from getting into your mind and heart. Amen? Because they know it's going to change you. It's going to make you more like Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 20, But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with the devils. And so there's this opportunity or this potential to fellowship with devils. And 1 Timothy 4, 1, it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. They're always seducing. 
They're always trying to tantalize you and keep you away from the truth, from the, the things that will help you, and trying to teach you things that are deceptive, that are wrong. Uh, behind every false doctrine, there's a demon. 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone into the world. Number five, Satan slanders the people of God. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. You think about this. The devil standing before God, all he can really do is accuse. What's he going to do? Beat up God? (laughs) You know, there's nothing you can do. All he can do is use this, tongue. All he can do is accuse and and spread vile things. That's how Satan works. Be careful of people that accuse. That's not the way God works. God doesn't work through accusations. Amen? God works through truth and restoration and forgiveness and so forth, but not through accusations. You have somebody just reviling somebody and they're just accusing and getting all bitter and angry. That's the devil. That's what the devil does before God day and night. And someone caught the spirit of the devil. And that's why it's coming out of their mouth the same way. Folks, I believe with all my heart. And you got people like that, they come into your house, you sit around your table, you end that evening right there. And you say, guess what? We're going to go to bed now. You can go home. (laughs) You don't need to be around that vile garbage. It's filth. It's satanic. And it's there to poison your soul. And that's what the devil does. Amen? Uh, Satan devours God's people. We know that be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He devours. Uh, You look at Revelation 12, verse 4, And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered. That's talking about when Christ was going to be born, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And that's why Herod killed all the children two years old and younger. That was the dragon. So we we see in Revelation 12, what Herod did was actually satanically motivated. And so he was going to devour that child. That's what he does. Number seven, Satan infiltrates the church. He's good at that. He can do it. We know that. The Bible talks about the tares and the wheat. Amen. (laughs) It says in Acts 20, verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. It's talking to pastors like me, like Pastor Paul, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. That's my responsibility, not yours. It's mine. It's my responsibility to oversee. You can say, Pastor, I don't like this. I don't like, well, that's not your responsibility. It's my responsibility. I stand before God with what's allowed in the house of God. You're not going to stand before God for that. I will. You'll stand before God for what you allow in your home. (laughs) Amen. I'm going to stand before God what we allow in the church. I'm the overseer here. And I've been chosen by the Holy Spirit of God. If I'm not going to take that seriously, then I might as well just quit today. Let somebody else that is going to take it seriously get behind the pulpit. But if you want somebody that doesn't do that, <laughs> don't go to Independent Baptist Church that loves God and wants to preach the Word of God. You go to a Mammy Pammy Church. Ear-tickling church. Amen? They'll let you do whatever you want. You can live in sin, you can live in adultery, you can, uh, drugs, alcohol, and you can just go ahead and do it. 
oh, we just, we just love people here. <laughs> no, we oversee. We oversee because we know how Satan works in infiltrating the house of God. Amen? So this is, folks, it's not easy going to a biblical church. Yeah. Do you understand that? If you're looking for the easy way, this isn't the easy way. <laughs> There's easier things that you could do. But this is the best thing for you. Yeah. It's not as easy, but it's best. <laughs> Amen? That's what we got to remember here. So it goes on to say, For I know this, that after my departing, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise. That means somebody gets a bee in their bonnet. Somebody also gets this attitude and they begin to pull people aside and say, hey, come meet with us. That's why I say, folks, if people leave the church here, what are you going hanging out with them for? They've already made their decision. If somebody leaves the church, they're not leaving me. It's not me. They're leaving you. They're forsaking you. So if they're forsaking you, what are you doing? (laughs) Are you forsaking us as well? We've got to make our choices here today. (laughs) When people leave the church, they leave the body of Christ. But everybody makes it's just about leaving the pastor. No, it's not. (laughs) That may be what the accusations are. But folks, when people leave the house of God, they leave the people of God. They have forsaken you. Yeah. It's easy to sit back. Well, I don't care. Old pastor knows how to deal with this. <laughs> it's not just me. I'm only a part of the body. You're part of the body too. You understand that? Satan is looking to get in, pull out. Then once he's pulled out, keep pulling out. <laughs> Then he uses influence from the outside. Now he's got a connection with you to keep bringing people out of the church. That's his plan, not mine. Mine is to bring them in. (laughs) Amen. That's what what our plan's got to be. And so it says here, therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I thought about this today, I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Say, preacher, why don't you stop talking about this kind of stuff? You just, what's going on here? I had someone say, oh, why are you so dramatic? You would not have liked the Apostle Paul. Three years, day and night, with tears, this message I just gave you now, he inundated the people with it. Paul, you're so dramatic. What's wrong with you? Take it easy, man. Take a chill pill. He'd say, no, sir. I'm obviously seeing something you're not. And that's why God made me an overseer, not you. You understand that? (laughs) Serious business here. I tell you, that's the thing in my heart that is the closest thing to me, is the protection of this body. And I don't care what you do. You can call me what you want. You can attack me all you want. I'm going to protect the house of God. Praise God. And you better thank God for that because one day you might have a little child that you're bringing in here and say, I wish we had a preacher that would. Amen. Number eight, Satan can appear as an angel of light to deceive. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3, But I fear lest by any means as serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Then moving up to verse 13, 
It says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore is no great thing of his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Oh yeah, they're very holy looking. They talk about the Bible even. <laughs> Amen. Be careful. Be careful. Satan can take you out. He infiltrates. Number nine, Satan can fill our hearts with dishonesty, greed, fear, and bitterness, and other things. We have the example of Ananias and Sapphira. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? So Satan filled his heart to lie. You have the example of of David when he numbered the people in 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1. And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. Never was he supposed to number the, the army. God says, I'm always sufficient. You don't need to know how many soldiers you got. You go out there with 300. Remember Gideon? 300 defeated the armies. See, when you start numbering the people, it's a sign that fear has filled your heart. And David was full of fear. And the Bible says that Satan stood up against Israel. He was the one that filled David's heart with fear. And it cost them greatly. Remember the angel, that one angel came and sent that, that plague. And he was destroying as he was walking. And that's when David set up the altar there on Mount Moriah and bought that threshing floor. And he stayed the plague. That was because of his decision. Amen? Anyways, if I'm not mistaken, he can fill our hearts with thoughts of greed, bitterness, and fear. That's why 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So our warfare is all about what's going on in here. Because that's what Satan fills. He gets you all up, upset. He gets you all full of bitterness and anger and, and fear and all these things. And that's what consumes your thinking. It's the fiery dart that sets your mind on fire. Amen. The Bible says we're supposed to catch those imaginations. Cast them down. And let the word of God exalt itself as our knowledge, not our imaginations. Imaginations are always the flesh. The truth is always the spirit. Amen? It's always the flesh, the imaginations. It's always on what you don't know. Well, this may happen. Well, if you don't know it's going to happen, then it probably won't happen. <laughs> Amen? you got to deal in the truth, deal in reality. Letter B. There are the Lord's angelic princes that defend God's people. This is interesting. Michael is a powerful archangel that is a chief prince of Israel. You see that here in Daniel 10, 21. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of the truth. And there's none that withholdeth with thee in these things, but Michael, your prince, your principality. Amen. And so what I believe, and I have many others as well, believe that Michael is actually that prince over Israel. He is one that protects Israel. He is that angelic power that God uses to fight for Israel. And we see that up the road here too in this Daniel chapter 12. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people 
And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since. There was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. Amen. So that's talking about Daniel's 70th week. And so Michael's going to stand up and fight for his people, Israel. So that's their prince. And so he is like there's a prince of Persia over Persia, that demonic prince that's hindering the work of God. But Michael is the prince that is pushing forward the will of God for Israel. Uh, Michael will defeat and cast out Satan to the earth. We see that in Revelation 12. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against a dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And so Michael is going to fight there. Letter B, Michael fought in the Lord's authority, not his own. This is interesting. I want you to catch this. In Jude, verse number 9. It says, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Now what's that about? (laughs) Don't have the foggiest. But something to do with the body of Moses. Something to do with with a conversation that Michael was having with the devil about the body of Moses. Now where is the body of Moses? Well, maybe that's what it's about. Maybe somehow the devil wanted the body of Moses. I don't know. Maybe he thought he'd find the body of Moses and everybody worshiped the body of Moses. I don't know. <laughs> you know, Whatever it may have been, it doesn't really matter because that's not the point of this passage. What it is says is this. Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. Powerful Michael the archangel here. Great and powerful angel. And yet when he faced the devil, he didn't sit there, well, you know what, you did this. You know how people get? By the way, that's sin when you do that. When you're talking with somebody and you start railing on them, railing is insulting. Insulting and accusing people. Well, you did this and you did that. Or they're not even there. Maybe you're gossiping about them. The Bible says that's railing. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, railing is a church-disciplinable offense. That it is proof of you being a railer. Someone that is railing on somebody, insulting them all the time, behind their back, whatever, or to their face, whatever it may be, you need to be confronted. And if you're not going to get right, you need to be put out of the church. What? I didn't do drugs. I didn't. <laughs> railing is that bad. Railing is that wicked because it has a lot to do with how the devil operates. He's the one that rails and accuses. He's the accuser of the brethren. And God says, when you see that stuff in the church, you get it out. So sometimes, that's why the Bible says, <laughs> 1 Timothy chapter 5, against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. You're never supposed to be listening to someone that comes up to you and starts whispering in your ear and attacking a pastor of this church, whether it's Brother Paul or myself. That, my friend, is railing. That's railing. So when you give yourself over to that, 
and you continue to do that, that in itself is church disciplinable. Now, usually when that stuff is going on, there's other stuff going on. Usually that's the, that's the, the reason why I'm doing this is because I've been doing this. <laughs> Amen? And then I begin to rail because of the sin in my life. But I'm just warning you here, folks, when we're dealing with things, that's, we have to deal with railing. And we are. It's not just about the immorality. It's not just about this, that, or the other. It's not even that someone has done some sin. It's when something is wrong in their heart in such a way where they feel they have to tear other people down to make themselves look better. Or for whatever reason. That, my friend, is railing. That's in all reality the word blasphemy. The word blasphemy means to insult. Insult and try to tear down someone's reputation. That's blaspheming. Amen? So I want you to know that. Keep it out of the church. Amen? Don't do it. I don't ever want to come to you and say, hey, why are you railing on somebody in the church? Why are you blaspheming? Why are you insulting? Don't ever put me in a position to do that. Please. Please. As long as we don't do it, I won't have to. Amen? But Praise the Lord. Oh. Number two, anyways. The angel that spoke to Daniel would return to fight the prince of Persia. We see that in verse 20. Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I am come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. So he's expecting this demonic battle to continue. And not only that, there was a new demonic prince that was going to come on the scene. This prince of Grecia. Another demonic prince was going to come on that he's going to have to fight. And of course, that's the next empire, right? The Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire. And each one of them had a demonic prince that was trying to manipulate. We've got to move on real quick. Number three, one powerful angel will bind Satan with a chain and cast him in the bottomless pit. We've read that many times in Revelation chapter 20. One angel will whoop the devil. I like that. That's pretty powerful. Amen. Um, one angel also destroyed the whole army of, of Sennacherib's army when they came against Jerusalem. One angel destroyed them all. So you get one angel on your side, you're doing pretty good. Daniel's pretty safe here in this vision. <laughs> He's got some angels around him. Let her see. Jesus Christ is the prince of all principalities. And uh, we don't have a lot of time to go through a lot of this, but you know the passage here where it says, Wherefore God hath highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that every the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in earth, uh, things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Isaiah 9, 7, Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of the of hosts will perform this. Uh, Jesus created all power for himself, number one. And I'll just give you some blanks here because we've got to be done. So he created all principalities and powers. Number two, Jesus triumphed over all principalities by his death and resurrection. Interesting verse in John 12, verse 31. It says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. 
And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. So through his death and resurrection, <clears throat> he's saying the prince of this world is going to be cast out. That's pretty good. Um, move on here. Number three, Jesus uses the victorious church to demonstrate his victory to all principalities. See, this is something we need to get through our heads as a local assembly. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9. <clears throat> and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. That means these angelic princes, the powers in the heaven, are looking down at the church and the Lord is using us in our situation through the victory that was bought through his blood to show them things about how great God is. That's why even in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, it talks about the covering of the woman, the head covering. Now, a lot of people make that about a piece of cloth and they're missing everything. <laughs> Amen. What it is, it's the long hair of the woman. And the Bible says that through that, angels look down and they see this aspect of submission and humility and protection. See, authority is about protection. When you have your hair long as a woman, you're portraying to the angels that you're keeping yourself underneath the protection of your husband. <laughs> Amen? And there's more to it than that, but you understand that? And so your hair is actually your glory, the Bible says. It's given for your covering. And so you look at Jesus when he, was, when he had his uh, feet washed with a, with a woman with her tears... What did she dry his, her, his feet with? Her hair. Because she had long hair. <laughs> you see, that is a demonstration to the principalities of the structure that God has placed within the church and within our homes. How the man is the head of the woman and Christ is the head of man. And how we keep our head uncovered, but the woman keeps her head covered. Amen? Because it's the picture of the covering of authority. And there's one thing that is being attacked today in our world. I mean, you just think about the feminist movement, everything that's going on today, it's all about reversing that or destroying it. Even Black Lives Matter on their website, they want to destroy what they call the nuclear family structure. They didn't want that. <laughs> because the devil hates it. The devil hates the structure that God has created. But by ladies wearing the hair long is a symbol, a picture of that structure. Amen? So it's more than just a piece of cloth on your head. <laughs> Amen? Because the Bible says the hair was giving, giving, given for, your, uh, for a covering. Anyways, uh, let's move on here. Number four, believers must wrestle against the principalities of Satan and the power of Christ by prayer. Um, so we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities. But we can't do that on our own, just like Michael the archangel. He didn't wrestle the devil on his own. He said, the Lord rebuked thee. He did it through the power, the authority of his master. Amen. Even though Michael was a powerful angel, 
He didn't take it on himself. He didn't say, I will be like the Most High. He just, instead of throwing accusations at him, he operated within the authority of God. You see, whenever you feel like attacking somebody and, and railing and things like that, why don't you just submit to Scripture? That's what Michael the Archangel did. And if you'd rather rail and attack with your mouth, then you're being opposite of what Michael the Archangel did and opposite of what God's telling you to do in wrestling the principalities in the air. Amen? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The tricks, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Number five, believers must resist the devil by submitting to Christ. That's the same thing, but James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And number six, finally, there are no principalities that can separate God's children from God's love. No principalities. No demonic power. So when you're sitting there, nobody loves me. What that is, it's a principality trying to get you to believe that God doesn't love you. But the Bible tells us very plainly here, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when a person says, nobody loves me, they are under the influence of a satanic deception. Because the Bible tells us right there, there's no principalities that can separate you and the love of God. That's eternal security, by the way. Amen. You're saved. Saved forever. All right. There's no arguing that point.